classrooms, go have fun. Well, God, we give you this moment right now. We thank you for the, the, the honor that we can give to the word. To honor means to esteem highly and to give it weight. And right now, we choose to honor your word. We're about to open it, and we believe that what you said is true, that your word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between our thoughts and your thoughts, God. As you said in your word that you sent your word, and you healed us. So I thank you, Lord, that even as we partake of your word in this moment right now, that health is flowing to bodies in the name of Jesus from the top of their heads down to the soles of their feet. We thank you, Father, that every part in between, all tissue, every ligament, we thank you that no viruses can stay on these bodies because the very life of God flows through them, that you came that we might have life and life more abundantly, that you said that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in us, and it quickens our mortal bodies. So go ahead and declare this with me. I am the healed. I am healthy. Every part. Line up with the word of God. Because by his stripes, I was healed. So, Father, we thank you for it. We honor your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? You guys ready? You ready? Well, before we move on this morning, I want to tag along with what Jessica was saying last week on announcements, that we encourage you this year to have an old-fashioned Christmas. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean go, go dress up old-fashioned and get in the sleigh like the picture or whatever. I mean let's go and focus on the real reason for the season. It almost seems like every year we go a little bit further and a little bit further, a little more secular, and we forget the reason why we have a lot of these holidays. That the reason we gather and we give is because Jesus came and he gave, right? And so when we're gathering in these years, maybe you're traveling to see families, take time, go to church, find somewhere to go, go and worship because Jesus is the reason. Not, not our family gatherings, not our family dinners. They're great. In the, in the midst of all our gifts and our presents, our, our parties and our families, let's remember that it's Jesus is the only reason we're doing it. So let's take time and let's honor him. Amen? Let's have an old-fashioned Christmas this year. You know, we, every year we usually sit down months before Christmas hits and we're we sit and we say, okay, what are we going to do this year for, are we going to do a production? Are we going to do a big outreach? Are we going to do a big giveaway? And, you know, years we give like thousands of dollars to different programs in the, in the area. But as we were preparing about a month and a half, two months ago, I just felt we need to keep things simple. Keep things simple. When it becomes about everything that we do, we often miss what we need to receive. And so keep it simple this year. Jesus, we receive you in this season. We know that this becomes so busy for so many all across this nation, Lord. But right now, bring us back to the simplicity of you. That you humbled yourself in the form of a servant. That you did not think that there was a problem to become like us. And because you became like us, you raised us up. You made us sit together with you and made us like you. And so, Jesus, we honor you this season. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, 
as we move on this morning, I, uh, uh, we were doing, Pastor Robin did a great job last week just flowing in the Holy Spirit, and he didn't preach like nearly half of his message and stuff like that, and that, that's great. And uh, I was thinking, okay, I was doing this mini-series that we had on Beware the Snare before that, and there was a few different thoughts that were still kicking around in my heart about where we were in Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. So if you've got your Bibles with me this morning, go ahead and turn there, Joshua 23, verse 1. And it says, Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest, to Israel from all their enemies round about, and that Joshua was old and advanced in age. And as the chapter goes on, we get to see Joshua's last instructions to the nation of Israel. His, he's about to die. He said, I'm old and I'm advanced in age. And as we told you in week one, those don't always have to go together. Some people become old before they actually get old. And so Joshua was not only old, he was also advanced in age. Come on, I, I think that's such an important I, a concept for us to grab, is you're only old as you allow yourself to be. And when the life of God is surging through your body, you can be renewed day after day, day after day, that I, don't, I can be old in age, but I don't have to be old in heart. I don't have to act like I'm breaking apart, that I'm becoming decrepit, I'm falling apart. Come on, I, I've heard when I, when I was, I'm now like pushing almost to 40, and when I was getting in my late 20s, I was hearing people in my circles who were in their, only in their 20s saying, oh, I'm getting older, and I'm like, no, you're way too young to be saying that. You gotta be careful what you say over your body. When you get up and you feel a little ache and a twinge and you're like, oh, it must be because I'm getting old. No, you say life of God is in my body, affecting a work and a cure. And I'm not going to go out of this, this world broken and busted and sick. I'm going to go home to Jesus because I made that decision that I've run my course. I've reached to the end. Come on, isn't that what Paul said? He said, I long to go home, but I still have a job to do. Come on, you don't have to die sick. Come on. We, as Christ, the world can do what they want, but as Christians, Jesus has bore it on his back. He bore all grief. He bore, bore all pain. He bore all sickness. He bore all shame so that by his stripes, you can be healed by what he already bore. And if he bore it for you, why should you bear it now? Remind the devil his place. It's not in your body. And so Joshua was old and advanced in age. And so it's a long time after he'd given them rest. Rest from what? Well, he had a mission. He had a purpose. Moses kind of botched it at the end of his life. And God said, okay, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. But Joshua, he's going to take the nation of Israel in. And he's going to push out all those who inhabit the land. I've given it to you. It's, you now just say, get out of my land. And so Joshua, throughout his life, he... He was, you got to think, he's like at least 40 years older than everybody else in the nation except for his good friend Caleb. Why? Because all the rest of the Israelites of his generation chose to believe what they saw rather than what God had said. Moses gave the 12 spies instructions. Go into the land, spy out the land that I have given to you. Come on, we're getting a little off track, but this is good. There's things that God has said he's given to you. Don't even dare say in the opposite. Come on. Watch your mouth. Watch your tongue. 
put a guard over your lips. And if God said you're something, stop saying you're not. And so he gave the, told the 12, the, the 12 spies, go in, spy out the land that God has given you. And so the 12 went in. And they went all around. And they came back. And they said, it's a great land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But there's giants. There's walled cities. And we were like grasshoppers in their sights. And Joshua stood up and he said, you all silence your tongue. We can do this for we are more than able to take the land God has given us. And so Joshua and Caleb, two out of the twelve, chose to believe what God had said and the other ten said, no, 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 we can't. And they went out and they spoke to the rest of the people of their generation and they believed the ten over the two. Come on, that's really important. Just because the majority is saying something doesn't make it true. If everybody, if it's 99.9999% of people are saying this is just how it is and God said something else, he's true over them. Come on, this is a word for someone because this is not in my message this morning. What God has said is true. And you need to be willing to turn around and go back up the stream and say, well, if God said this is the way to go, I'm not just going to float the easy way down. That's not where my destiny is. My destiny is where God has called me to. And so the ten went and they spoiled the perception of all the rest of their generation so much so that God said, I can't, I can't do anything with them. We're going to have to wait until they're dead. And so they did. They waited 40 years. So you've got to understand what happened. They lived short lives. God had to shorten their time so that he could get on with his purpose and what he had said. They spoke death and cursing over themselves. But in the midst of that, the blessing and the life rested upon Joshua and rested upon Caleb so that even in their advanced age, they still had a mission to do. And so 40 years older than everybody else, Joshua and Caleb entered the land of promise. And Joshua had a mission. He had, a, had what God had told him to do, push out everybody. And so we know the story. They went to jo Jericho. They marched around it. The walls fall. They took it. And then place after place after place, they took all of the major strongholds in the land. And then they were like, oh, that's great. These people that are left here, you know, they're not much of a problem for us. Let's just have a rest for a while. But they hadn't finished the job. God said, push them all out. Not just the ones who will cause you a problem. Why is that important? Because when the pressure's on, you'll do what it takes, right? You know? When there's problems and threats in your life, you have no choice. It's either I go under or I get up and I do something. And so when the pressure's on, it's easy to move. A true revealing of your heart is what happens when you're at rest. And when things are easy, the real you begins to come out. And so Joshua, starting right off in this verse, it's been a long time since the Lord had given them rest. But the job was not done. So he says to them, guys, we have to finish this. Don't let this. Because if you leave these nations in with you, they will become traps and snares to you. They will be a, a snare in your side and a thorn in your eye. And I said this a few weeks ago, I don't like a thorn in my thumb, let alone a thorn in my eye. 
But you know what? Just think about it in, our, in context of who you are as a new creation, a new believer, a new covenant Christian. Jesus took the spear in the side for you. He took the thorns upon his head so that you don't have to. And so don't go back to that which you've been set free from. And so Joshua said, finish the job. And he divided who was left amongst the 12 tribes. You take this one, Reuben. You take this one, Judah. You take this one, Ephraim. And he said, the guys, that's your instructions. It's my time to go on. You can do this. And he said to them, remember, everything God has told you has come to pass. He said, one soldier of us is better than a thousand of them. And that's how it had been for the last number of years. Whenever they fought, it didn't matter how big the army of the enemy was, they won but they had to show up to the fight. And so Joshua gave them those instructions. But we know from history is that they didn't do it. They didn't do what he said. And so they spent the next several hundred years going, victory, failure, victory, failure, victory, failure. They would go and it'd get so bad that they would have no choice but to say, God, help me. Come on, don't let God be your last resort. Come on, you watching at home online, don't let God be your last resort. Don't give God your leftovers. Give him your best. Give him your first. Because when you put him first, everything else flows. And I love what Paul said. He said, if you take a lump and you take the first fruits and you dedicate it to the Lord, the rest becomes holy. If the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. When we take ourselves and we dedicate a portion of our life, God purifies the rest of it. Come on, even think about Sunday mornings. That is the tithe of your week. You're saying, God, I know I have so many things I could do, but here I am to worship. I thank you that you make the rest of my week holy. You guide my steps from this moment on. Man, you want to have easier weeks? Give, give God your first. Get up in the morning and give God your first. Hallelujah. So they didn't do it. And they spent several hundred years doing this. And it wasn't until King David came on the scene that they finally finished the job, pushed everyone else, and united the kingdom together. What was special about David versus everybody else that had come before him? David had a heart after God. And Israel hadn't seen a leader like him since Joshua. Who You know Joshua's heart was after God. When Moses would go up the mountain to spend some time with God, and the presence of God would come upon the mountain, it said that Joshua was right there with him. <laughs> and when they set up the tabernacle, the tabernacle of meeting, and Moses would go out there, and the presence of God would come upon it, Moses would come in, talk to God, get his instructions, he would go back to the camp, and Joshua would stay in the presence of God. Why? Because he wanted to be with God. He wanted to hear his voice. He wanted his instructions. And nothing else would satisfy. He made himself available. And so, it came to pass that a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel, that from their enemies round about, that Joshua was old and advanced in age. And it's, it's interesting how there can be so much in one little verse. And there's something that is emphasized here, and it's that this was a long time. Now, time is an interesting concept to think about in terms of God. 
You know, it's not something we often talk about because we're try trying to get people to realize God is good, <laughs> you know? God loves you. God wants to help you. And so sometimes you don't get to other aspects. But when you think about time, time is something that binds you, not God. Come on. Time is a, is a, is a creation of this creation, and God is not bound by this creation. It call came out of him. And so it may have been a long time for the nation of Israel, but for God, the promise hadn't changed. Because when he said it, he considered it as though it was already done. Come on. So time, when we think about the passing of time, just because time has passed doesn't mean that God has changed, even though your circumstances may have changed. Come on. We have to have the right perception of God and with time. We think that time probably came at the fall. Because up until that point, the, the uh, men were living long lifetimes. And so I think it was kind of like after the fall and after they'd been, they kind of looked and they're like, okay, how many times have we seen, seen the seasons go through? And they're counting up like, oh, 900, you know? Because time is not something that was supposed to bind us. Come on. And sometimes we sit back and, and, and we go like, oh, it just hasn't happened in the time frame that I thought. Are you God? Come on. Or sometimes things just happen real quick and you're like, wow, God, look what you can do with just a little time. And he's like, what's time in light of the promise? What's time in light of Jesus? Come on. And so it was a long time after the Lord had given them rest. You know, when we look at the creation in Genesis chapter 1, we read it as, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that's not actually what the Hebrew says. It says, in, at when God began. It's not God's beginning. It's creation's beginning. And so we have to remember that. Because we're always measuring things by us. And we need to start measuring life by God. And he began that act of creation, but it wasn't even the beginning of the whole thing, what we consider a creation. Because it says that in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. We have to think in context of what we know about God. God doesn't make things without void. God doesn't make things dark. He says, in him is light, and in him there is no darkness. So God created something, and something transpired in that time frame that became different. And so God was doing a reshuffling. So don't get really concerned when people are like, oh, the earth could be billions of years old. That's not up for you to know. God is not wasteful. God takes things, and he recycles them. He makes them new. He makes them better, and he's going to do it again. At the end of time, after, the, after the, the tribulation and after the seven years, God's not done with this earth. He makes it new. He makes it a new heaven and a new earth. He refurnishes it. And so who's to say that that was the first time? We know that there's things in our, in, that we read in the Bible that are not part of our creation. Like angels and demons. It wasn't like on the eighth day God created them. Where did they come from? It doesn't matter. God's been around a long time, and he's done a whole lot of things. It doesn't change who you are to him and what he said about you. And I'm just saying these things because we need to shift the way we think about time. Because I've met so many people that are just like, it didn't happen the way I thought it would. 
or when I thought it would. God, why is it taking so long? And you need to stop saying, why is it taking so long? And start saying, God, I thank you that it's done. Come on. Tie yourself to the, prob pro the promise rather than the time frame. And the way we think of time as a society can, do, doesn't necessarily mean that it's right, the way that we think about it. And we have lots of sayings about time, like one would be, time flies when you're having fun. You heard that before? What are they meaning? Because I was enjoying myself, it seemed like things just were going really, 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 really fast. John says it all the time. He's like, Pastor, when you started preaching, it felt like five minutes. For another, someone's sitting there going, are you done yet, Pastor Jordan? Shut up. I want to go get my roast out of the oven or whatever. Depending on how you're enjoying it dictates how you're viewing the passage of time. Come on. That's why the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength. If you're feeling like this is taking forever, God, focus on his joy. Because time flies when you're having fun. Come on. The opposite is also true. We have sayings like, a watched pot never boils. Why? Because you're sitting there like, this is boring. Would you boil already? Come on, come on, come on. It has less to do with the time frame and more to do with you. Because you weren't supposed to be bound by time anyways. Come on. Even with Jesus, it says that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, that was a moment that transcended time. It went forward and backwards all at the same time. So in the Old Testament, they could look ahead to the cross and receive healing. And now we get to look back at the cross and receive from what Jesus has done. It transcended time. And so we say a watch pot never boils because we're like, oh my goodness, this is boring. But really, if you put the same amount of water and the same amount of energy in, into it, it'll boil the same amount every time. The only variable is you. But it's also a variable that you can control. We have other sayings about time, like, time heals all wounds, which couldn't be more untrue. <laughs> because an untreated, dirty wound will not heal, it becomes what? Infected. So time didn't heal that wound, time killed that wound and killed that person. But a well-treated wound, given the right environment, will heal as it was designed to. The natural state of your body is health. It was designed to function in health. And when, we real, when we're not in health, we have to realize that something has gone wrong outside of the design for how it was to function. It's a good thing that we know the designer. He's the great physician. And whatever's gone wrong with you now, he knows how to correct and get it back to factory reset. So time heals all wounds only if you put it in the right environment. Some people went through trauma years ago and they've never let those wounds heal because they keep going like this to them. Oh, this was such a problem. I can't believe that person did that to me. I can't believe I had to go through that situation. Come on, the more you pick at something, it doesn't heal. You just keep opening the wound. And some people are like, keep pouring salt on it every day, and they get more bitter and more bitter and more salty and more salty. And, man, you got to scrape that off. you got to put the healing balm of Gilead, as the Old Testament says, and let that heal up. 
Let God take all that abuse. Let God take all that trauma and wash it away. That's not you anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Stop rehearsing the wounds and offer them up to the healer. So, from what we've just said about time, here's where we can come to the conclusion of. How time impacts you depends on what you couple it with. I'm going to say that again. How time impacts you depends on what you couple it with. You want to feed bitterness into your life? Man, time's going to be hard. You want to feed the love and the joy of God into your life? Man, life can get better. I came that you might have life, and life more abundantly. So what did the nation of Israel couple with time? Now, it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to the nation of Israel. Now, on the surface, you may see this rest as a good thing. And there's a place for rest. As we said in week number one of Beware the Burn, we said, or Beware the Snare, I said, Beware the Burn. Watch out for burnout. There's times to work and there's times to rest. As we looked at the prophet Elijah, he had gone from problem and victory, problem, victory, problem, victory, and was not taking time to rest until he finally hit the wall and he said, God, I can't do this anymore. Kill me already, God, just kill me. He was done. And what did the angel do? He came and said, here, eat this, have a nap. And then he woke him up and he said, here, eat some more, have another nap. And amazing, when Elijah woke up and he was fed and he was well rested, Things were good again, and he heard the voice of the Lord, and he was able to see it through to the end. There is a time for rest, and you need to understand, okay, well, what do I need to do? Have I been pushing too hard too long? Okay, let's have a time of rest. That's not what the nation of Israel is in. They've been sitting on their butts for a while now. There's a time to rest, and there's a time to work. And so there's something that begins to come out of extended times of too much rest, and that is there is an unwillingness to exert effort. Come on. There was an unwillingness in them to exert effort. And so Joshua said, finish the job, and they said, no. I like my tent. I like my family. I like my downtime. I like my Netflix. No, no, sorry, I won't poke on those. <laughs> there became an unwillingness to exert effort. And it seems like the longer you're at rest, the harder it is to get moving again. And you don't believe me? Have you ever tried to wake up a sleeping teenager? Just a few more minutes, Mom. You come back 20 minutes later, just a few more minutes, Mom. <laughs> come on. And if you don't, can't relate to a teenager, you were there at one point. Come on. The longer you're at rest, the harder it is to get something moving again. And the thing is, that's how the enemy likes it. He likes when you're not moving. And so what does he do? Anytime you try to get some effort going, he's like, okay, I, I got to get up and I got to do what God has told me to do. What does he do? He throws an obstacle right away. Why? Because he can't stop you when you've got momentum. Once you get moving, he's powerless. But if he can get you to stop at the beginning and stay back in your bed, 
stay back on your butt, he can get you to do whatever he wants you to do. Because he doesn't care what you know. He doesn't care who you are until you choose to use it and stand up for your rights. No, I am a child of God and I will not put up with life this way. No, I have been made whole by the stripes of Jesus. I don't put up with sickness. No, my God has supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't put up with lack. I thank you, Lord, that there's opportunity ahead of me, that doors open before me, that you guide my steps, that wherever I go, your favor follows me. When I enter into the room, you've already prepared a place for me. And with long life will you satisfy me and show me your salvation. And so the nation of Israel has been at rest for far too long, and there was an unwillingness to exert effort. Something P.T. Barnum once said is that comfort is the enemy of progress. Because if you're happy where you are, why would you get up and move somewhere else? Well, maybe God's designed you for a little bit more than what you're happy with right here. And too many Christians have been content to live small lives. You've not designed to live small. You were designed to shape this world. What did, what did they say about the disciples when they came in? It says, the men who have shaken the world have come to us. Because that's what you were designed for. To go into all the world and upset their apple carts and preach Jesus. And so the enemy is weaponizing rest in these days. There's a place for self-care, and then there's a, that, there's a point where it becomes selfishness. Come on, do I got to say that? Maybe I'll say it to the camera. There's a place for self-care, and then there's a point where it becomes selfishness. And we need to look beyond ourselves. There's a lost and dying world. So let's listen to what uh, the smartest man in the world had to say. In Proverbs chapter 6, he's talking about a person who has become trapped because of a vow that they've made. And he says this to them, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You've been taken captive by them. And it's still the same for you. Your words are life. Your words have power over your life and your situation. And you can become snared by them. And so what does uh, Solomon say to do about it? He says, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. We've been talking about beware the snare. He's saying, you can deliver yourself. And how? He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Oh, thank you. Thank you for using such nice words, Solomon. <laughs> go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider their ways and be wise. Which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, why does he say that? Because too many people are waiting for someone else to tell them to do it. You have to do this. Get up and we got to do this now. We got to go. That's great if you want to encourage some people. But when we're talking about you, you don't need somebody else. You are the captain of your destiny. You have been empowered. And he said the ant doesn't have a captain. It doesn't have an overseer. It doesn't have a ruler. But it provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. What is he saying? It works when it's the time to work. 
It does what needs to be done in the season that it's in. If you gather your supplies when you're in that season, you'll have more than enough when you come to the season where it looks like things are short. But if you eat your seed when you should have been planting your seed, when harvest comes, you've got nothing to bring in. And so he says, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, and so shall poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. And so Solomon just bluntly points it out. If you want to be lazy, you're going to be poor. If you don't want to work, you're always going to be in somebody else's pocket. He says, get up. Get up. And I believe those same words are echoed in the, in the intention by Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen on you. When will his glory be seen on you? When you arise and you get up. It didn't say the glory of the Lord will rise on you while you sit and wait. He said, get up. You know, there's a spiritual principle about just show up. You know, when someone's in need, Having things going on in your life, you're like, well, I don't know what I would say to them. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just show up and let the Holy Spirit fill your hands and your mouth. You could be saying the same thing about problems in your own life. I just don't know what to do. Well, putting your head in the sand is not the way to get over it. Getting up. Facing it. And it says, the glory of the Lord will rise upon you and it will be seen on you. And it says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising, not your sitting. (laughs) Come on, I know I'm poking some wounds. They'll come to your light at the brightness of your rising. So lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together and they come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you'll become radiant. When? When they're doing. When they're in motion. And your heart will swell with joy. Which means time will pass a little bit easier for you. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. And we got a lot of Christians claiming that while doing nothing. Well, I've heard so many messages over the years. Just to, let me be honest for a moment. I've heard so many messages over the years. Oh, the wealth of the, of the wicked is laid up for the just. It's like, oh, I can't wait for t- the time when God's just going to take all the enemy's money and give it to me and I'm just going to be so blessed. Uh, no. Get up and do. The anointing is on the doers. You know, you think about the, the, how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament with people like Samson. You know that he wasn't strong all the time? He was strong when he set his heart to do something. The anointing would come on upon him to do something. And then he was strong. If you want to do nothing, you're never going to find the strength of God because you don't need it. 
Oh, come on. So Paul says this, Therefore, awake you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When will you find light? When you get up. <laughs> See then that you walk circumspectly. That means accurately and with purpose, or we could say with effort. And not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And the word for evil doesn't mean, oh, the days are bad. It means the days are natural. We're not called to live a natural existence. We're called to live a supernatural existence. That your home is not here, but you're a resident of heaven. You have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth at all times. You've been raised up and made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Which kingdom do you want to pull your strength from? When we pull it from the kingdom of God, we redeem the time. As the Amplified says, it says, Making the very most of time, buying up each opportunity. Hallelujah. And when we talk about things like this, you can say, well, well, God, it's about God's grace. And, you know, he's called me to rest. We have a very different definition of God's grace and rest then. Because Paul said, because of the grace of God, I've done what I've done. And that grace of God came upon him and caused him not to stay in his city, but to travel the known world and to preach the gospel. It caused him to overcome going through different shipwrecks, multiple whippings and beatings and stonings. It caused him to go through being thrown in jail and eventually led him to his death. And he said, I will gladly do it. Because the reality is we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hallelujah. Come on, Paul also said that whatever you do, you do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That word heartily means with purpose. It means to show up and open the doors of your business. Come on. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord. Here's another another pointed one from Solomon. You ready for this? Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. <laughs> Thank you Solomon for just being blunt about it. If you work the land, you'll have abundant food. But if you chase after the fantasies of the world, you have no sense. So who should we take wisdom from? Well, if we said only two people made it out of Joshua's generation. One was Joshua and the other was Caleb. And so being the oldest person in the nation, you think it would have been his place to say, all you young guys, go do the job. I've put in my time. I spied the land. I trained you all up in these 40 years that we've been waiting. Go and do it. I'll cheer you on from the sidelines. I'll stand back. I'll, you can do it, and I'll just come, and I'll have a feast with you afterwards. No. When it came time, it says, Now, therefore, give me this mountain, which the Lord has spoken his day. For you heard in the day that the Anakim were there. What was he saying? I want the mountain with the giants. The oldest dude in the whole land, the guy who should be at rest, said, No, I want the mountain, and I want the giants. 
And he says, I saw that the cities were great and fortified, and it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. That was a long time before this. Go spy out the land which I've given you. What was he doing? He'd been rehearsing the promise all those years. The Lord has given me the land. The Lord has given me the land. Oh, I can't wait for that day when you say, go, God. Whew, I don't want to rest. I've had enough rest in the desert. And so when time, an extended period of time, is coupled with over-rest, it begins to give you a lack of interest in effort. There's also something that comes as a consequence of that. You never change. Change is probably a word that we don't really like. They say as a whole, people don't like change. I'd say that there's actually some people out there that like change a little too much. <laughs> there's people that revel in change for the sake of change, and you're like, would you just stay planted? Would you just, you know, put in some work and some effort and stay in the season that you're in? Come on, we see this in, in the church body over and over. You know, years and years ago, there would be people that would come in, and they, they stay for a short period of time, and be like, oh, I feel... When they come, they're like, oh, this is exactly where God wants me to be. And like a year later, they're like, oh, I, I feel God is calling me somewhere else. And you're kind of like, oh, God, what did I do wrong? And then you begin to realize it wasn't you, it's them. Because since then, you've seen them do the same thing at seven different churches because they don't know how to grow, which would be a better word for change. God has not called you just to do something new all the time. He's called you to growth, and you can grow in the same place. He may call you to a different place, but he brings you to a place where you can grow. Which is why Paul said to Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. Don't neglect, neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy and with the laying on of hands. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all or your growth and so paul was saying to timothy put in the work meditate do what you got to do grow everyone will see it peter said something similar too he said you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you fall also from your own steadfastness what does that mean what is he saying You've been consistent. Don't let the enemy knock you off that and sit back and say, I've done enough. Being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace. Grace doesn't make us lazy. Grace makes us grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to him be glory both now and forever. Seeing as we've been looking a lot from the, the Old Testament and from the early stages of, uh, of the, the children of Israel, a good thing about growth to look at might be one of the patriarchs. We had Abraham, we had Isaac, and we had Jacob. And Jacob's story is kind of one of those that's up and down. But when we find him at the end of his life, we have his love, beloved son Joseph has been gone for many years. He thought he was dead. And through, you can read the story yourself, but through the miracles of God, 
he took Joseph to provide for that family when a time of famine came so that Joseph was preparing the season before the season even arrived. They didn't know Joseph was doing that, but when they were in need, God had already provided because Joseph was putting in the work. And when they had been re reunited with Joseph and they come back to Jacob and they say, he's not dead, he's down in, in Egypt, come on down. Jacob begins to have this conflict within himself. I'm living in the land that God said he would give to us. I can't go down there. He said he'd make me a great nation. And so Jacob's conflicted whether or not he should go and see his beloved son Joseph. Because he doesn't want to change his location. And this is what God said to him. I am God. I am the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And there's something about God that we need to get our heads around. We often think this is the direction that I need to go. And sometimes he'll just putz you around this way. You know, when it comes to golf, I'm not a good golfer. I kind of given it up because I suck at it because I don't want to put in the effort to get better. Come on, I'll be honest. But when you get up to the green, you got to read the green. The hole may be over there, but if the green's a little sloped, you got to hit it this way to get it to where it needs to go. God is a master at reading the green of your life. He knows which direction you need to be putting so that you end up right where you need to be. He said, I'll make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your heart. He gave him that promise. Jacob, I know you don't want to leave where you are. But you're coming back to where I promised you. So Father, we thank you for the promises that you've given in your word. We thank you what you've declared us to be, which is we're your sons and your daughters. And we know that you don't procreate outside of your race, that we've been made in your image and in your likeness. And what you've called us to, we know that we are more than able to walk in. Go ahead and say, I can walk it. God, I can walk in what you've called me to do. Come on, let's say it again. I can walk it. I can do what you've called me to do, God. I thank you, Lord, that greater who is in me than is in this world. Greater is he who is in me than is in this world. And so, God, I choose. I don't want to sit back. I don't want to just do what I want to do. God, I want to run. I want to run in the direction that you've called me to be. Father, I want to grow. I want to change. I thank you that I will redeem the time in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, our word care team is going to be up here in just a moment. They would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you, celebrate with you. Whatever it is you need, go ahead and avail yourself of them. They would love to be a blessing to you. Pastor Robin, it's your turn. Amen. God, I choose you and your plan for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, glory. It is offering time.
And as it says up there, it says an act of worship. And so we're going to worship God with our tithes and offerings this morning. And you can give this way electronically, or you can use an envelope, or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of ways of doing the giving. Amen? Amen. Let's say this together. As I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, binding money, bills decreased, bills paid off, blessings and increases. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I have, may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We receive of you, Lord, and we, and we give with a heart full of thanksgiving. Hallelujah. And so we bless this food at the back, too. We're going to have uh, some snacks after the fact, and uh, we'll uh, enjoy that and uh, stick around for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we'll meet you at the front here if you need prayer.